You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, the running public. Bracken, how does it feel to be outnumbered by gingers right now? Just smothered in gingers. I want to keep adjusting the tint on my screen like something's wrong. <laughs> you, should. you should. Everything is right, Bracken. This is how the world is meant to Although, be. Although, let's, let's be real. Bracken kind of fits in in terms of the, uh, the, the skin tone. He's not too tan. It's true. Not too tan is <laughs> is a huge compliment for yeah. the paleness of my skin. Well, considering I've never had a tan, uh, I, I think that that's about as good of a compliment I'd be able to receive. How about you, Kirk? How's your your tan department? Not too good, right? Oh, no, not at all. I am. Yeah. We are all very different shades, but similar white. I'm sure whiteness. Yeah, it's gross. Yeah, it's just a gr- gross group of dudes right now. Jack, you're the stats guy, and before we get into all of that, we're going to talk about you, since no one ever talks about you. Yeah, but I, why would they? Before we do any of that, we're going to talk about me. So you're the <laughs> stats guy, and you'll appreciate this. Okay. I have a 15-year a streak going of breaking five minutes in the mile and dunking in the yes. same year. It started in 2004, and this would be year 16, and I had knee surgery. And out of all of the things I'm concerned about, breaking that streak... And losing my vertical is the thing that I'm most concerned about. Is it? Is it your? Are you a two foot jumper or one foot jumper? I was a one foot jumper, my left leg, until I first damaged this knee, and then I became a two foot jumper to compensate. Oh, so your left knee was the one that you got the surgery on. Your left left knee, my jumping leg, was the one I got surgery. That's the same scenario that I would be in, and I I couldn't jump off my right. Like, there's no way I could dunk a basketball off my right foot. Yesterday, I did. What you dunked a basketball off your right foot yesterday? Yep. That's legit, man. Okay, so so you got- I can't like run hard yet. So I did like a a slow jog up, then I did one hard gather step, and on like the fifth attempt, I I got one down. So now I just have to break five this year, and my streak can continue. That's fantastic. Okay, and you've got, you have eight months for that. There's no way you're not gonna you're not gonna break that. I feel like I could do it right now. It would set me back three weeks. But if I like gun to my head, I could break five right now. Aerobically, I, I guarantee you could. It, yeah, just like you said, it would. You're doing like one mile at a time for your runs and stairmaster. That's you're you're, you're going to be sore for a few days after that. Yeah. So, anyways, I got the hard part out of the way. I may not ever jump off my left knee again, but I figured out my right leg a little yesterday, and I thought of you and Macaulay right away. I, I want to say Will Clay, the triple jumper. He initially um, was unable, like hit when he when he did long jump. He did one certain leg. And then he got injured, so he had to switch over to the other one. He couldn't do it as well, but he's like, wait a minute, I'm still pretty good at this. And then his other leg healed, so that's why I went into triple jump, because he's like, I'm pretty damn good with my off leg, but I'm also great at my other leg. So he kind of combined the two. Maybe, maybe triple jump is in the future. I, triple, I, I am on our high school triple jump relay school record. How does that work? We, we had a, a two competitions per year. It was just a meet of relays. And for the triple jump, it was just your best three participants added together for your relay, quote unquote. Okay. I, I thought like triple jumped, high five, 40 feet away. And then the next person, I was like, <laughs> no. But that year was the last year they ever did a four man triple jump relay because numbers were starting to dwindle. So we set the school record that year and they switched to a three man the next year. Gotcha. And we do had you- a guy who went like 47 and 48 that next year. 
but that, it didn't matter because they'll never you, do you my a, my four man again. So I'll go down forever in our high school triple jump relay. I mean, they might be listening to this podcast and then get some some good talent there to to reset it. Do do you, speaking of that, do you guys hold any high school records still? I got a couple. Okay, Nothing I, I have the four impressive. by eight still. Oh, we got the four by eight too. How fast did your team run? Eight flat point zero seven. Oh shit! What we was your in, split? Uh, I was two flat point three that day, and oh, my nice. my PR is two flat point zero three. So I've never broken two, and I've never oh. broken eight on a four by eight. That's a good time though. That's a good time as a unit. What are you guys bracking? What did your four by eight? High school, we were uh, eight oh five. I split two flat point one, which was a high school PR. And then I'm on the triple jump relay as well, which I triple jumped that day. I went 39.7, like 60 or 70 seconds after finishing the mile. Really? It was was final call. I couldn't delay it any longer. I finished the mile, jogged over, and triple jumped. Were you saving yourself on the mile just for that, knowing that you've got that I didn't run super fast because I wanted to hit 40 in the triple jump, but it was just enough. It sat me a little, and I went, I, I didn't break 40. Oh, that's, that's a brutal combo right there because you need that explosive. I couldn't imagine doing a 200 and then being like, all right, let's go do a triple jump in a couple minutes. The worst part was because I tried to slow play the mile, I had to kick for the win. I think I would have been better off front loading the race, recovering yeah. the last 400, and then hitting 40 in the triple. That's pretty. What about college, Kirk? Do you, get, do you have any college records still? We, uh, we set the DMR record briefly and then it was rebroke by another set of guys the same year we had a different like 400 meter runner come in or something um that's it though uh that all i can think of yeah did you guys have any Uh, at drake relays we set our four by eight record what'd you guys Um, run like 730 something 740 something 734 736 that's moving yeah i split 151 or 152 that day casually Um, you know exactly what you split that day, don't you? No, I don't because we had we had a bunch of uh bunch of upperclassmen who all argued about the relay splits that day. And I I didn't ever push for it. We we had a we had a little bit of ego imbalance on the team and I was an underclassman at the time. So I just let it slide. I never found out. And then um we just our DMR at nationals. We were going into the mile leg. We were ahead of national record pace and ahead of school record pace, and our mile leg blew up and ran like 436 or something. He hadn't run slower than 411 yet that year. So oh, we, we, we didn't get the DMR, but we should have put it out of reach that year. Bauer, did you run in college? I did. Yeah, I, I was a walk-on at University of New Hampshire for a couple of years. And are you a Colorado boy, like a native, and you went out to New Hampshire, and now you're back in Yeah, I, I, lived, I lived in Massachusetts, moved about three months uh, before high school, and then started new in high school in New Hampshire, stayed there throughout high school, um, went to in-state school for uh, UNH, and then ran on the track team my freshman, sophomore year. Didn't want to, I just, I, I was just kind of burnt out. I wasn't improving much because I kind of declared for my engineering major a little too late. So my workload was crazy. I wasn't sleeping. And I was just like, you know, running too flat and not having a social life at this point just isn't worth it to me. So I, I, I bailed on it and then moved to Texas. And now I'm in Colorado. So you ran two flat in high school and two flat in college? Yeah. I, well, I I only ran like my, my freshman year. I basically trained with the team. Then sophomore year, I actually competed with them. And keep in mind, this is like, well, actually, you guys are from the, the north. Like I, I did steeplechase one time when there was literally ice in the pit. And it, it was just like a disaster for, for like the outdoor season. And then I got sick at, during uh, one of the races after I had a pretty solid like 
10 by 200 workout before i'm like you know what i'm, I'm gonna be 40 something in the 15 this week but i never ended up running that during uh the outdoor season i'm like you know i i'm always exhausted i got like six hours of sleep a night i i miss just having a social life and I don't want to be on a bus every single Saturday morning. So it just wasn't worth it for me at that point. Do you have any interest in doing a speed block and getting some people to rabbit you to break too? Uh, my friend, Ethan, literally, oh, this is crazy. He, he, he ended up being roommates with, um, like I was a year ahead of a couple people who, um, th- they were juniors when I was a senior and then they, they stayed in the same dorm. Ethan basically replaced me. He was that guy in high school ran like two flat point one. For for three point nine years, he never broke two, and then his last meet of the year, he ran a one fifty nine ninety seven, and he finally got it. And it, it, he was just like, it was all worth it. I have that one in front of my name, and I'm like, I, I mean, I, I can see the pros and cons of that, but that is a huge commitment. Four years, you're only improving a tenth of a second, but he does have that one in front of his name, so I guess that matters. You know what though? I think that speed. How old are you, Jack? Uh, thirty. Thirty. You got time, but like that that over speed training would translate to like some to, to like what you're doing for sure. Not that you should spend time like trying to do that. Yeah. However, I actually think like you probably see like a more rounded benefit from that kind of training. I think I, I would right now. Bracken, you, you probably know this firsthand. Uh, didn't Macaulay just randomly just step on a track a few years ago. He's like, I want to break two. Something he had like it that. run in like six months, like literally no running. I remember talking and then he said, all right, I want a baseline. And at 6,200 feet of elevation, ran 157. <laughs> I paced him through 400 and I stepped off. I'm like, this really hurts to break 60 right now at this elevation. And he just dug deep and ran 157 on his first week back of training after six weeks at elevation. I was not that thrilled with him. What was the 400 split? It's like 58. So he held on on his own. That's really, really, I mean, the fact that he wasn't running beforehand, I just remember him being like, yeah. Like I I would see him at 24 hour fitness. You want to know what he would do? He would play basketball for like 20 minutes and then he'd get on a 15% treadmill. He'd sprint for like 20 seconds, get off for 40, do nothing. Like literally just stand on the side of it and just do that for like 20, 30 minutes in a row. That's all he would do. And yeah, he did the 30, 30 at 15% incline over and over and over. Yeah. And and that kept him in 157, 800 shape, I guess. Must've. Bracken, why are you keeping him out of this sport for a reason? Cause you know, he would come and just clean up do you keep like he asked you about it and you're like no i'm gonna call you should probably just keep doing what you're doing if that was my goal i did it perfectly i got him to race i'd always guilt him into races when he was just in the worst fitness and he (laughs) would have such an awful experience that he wouldn't race for like another six or seven months and then i'd get him out to a race i'd be like hey i'll fly you Let's go on this vacation. I'll, uh, you can pay me back if you win money or something. And then so he'd come and do the race and then wouldn't show up for another year. This is Bracken's younger brother we're talking about, by the way, who's a stud athlete. So he and I have almost to the 10th, the exact same running PRs, except I did it as a fifth year senior and he did it as a sophomore and never ran again. So he's much more talented than I am. But yeah. He just doesn't have the love for it. <laughs> That's too bad. You see that a lot, actually. Bauer, do you feel like you're one of the more underappreciated humans in the sport of OCR? Because uh, I feel it, like you are not appreciated the way you should be. I've, I feel like I'm I'm very happy that, you know, people are liking the stats that I put out and stuff because no one else is doing it. But I do feel like there could be a little bit more promotion on Spartans end to, you know, show what I'm doing and kind of expand it to the masses. I think that there is a shitload of work that goes into what you do. And I don't think all the eyes are seeing it that should and could. And I think it's just a matter of time until what you're doing is picked up. But I think you're underappreciated or underrecognized, in my Thanks. opinion. 
Bracken, what do you think about that? I think you're right. There are versions of you in other major sports, and they have become a talking head personality of that sport. Yeah. And yeah. yours hasn't caught on here yet. It hasn't caught fire yet, but I think it will. That That's the thing. So I, I feel like if you have the right you know, thing, thing to go with my stats, instead of reporting at a race where it's like, this is, you know, the hills of Killington again, like no one wants to hear that. How about mid-race? It's like, you know, Atkins has only lost to these seven people in his career and two of them are ahead of him. Is this going to be the first time I've ever, like just throwing out random stats like that during a broadcast, I feel like would bring a lot to the table. If I were producing the Spartan race coverage, which I have no right doing, but if I were, I would have you at a desk with your laptop, constantly running stats throughout the entire race. Even if they don't get used, I would just have a line to you as the producer. And every time you had something interesting, you would just say it in my ear and then I'd forward it if it was worth it. Like Atkins has never ever, you know, one, one, once he's 80% into a race and he is ahead, he has never given up a lead or, you know, stuff yeah. like that constantly. I'd have your stats always, I'd inundate the audience with your stats. Yeah, I mean, I've, it's not just like the results and stuff. I, I've written a couple articles on Tahoe previews, for instance, and it was like, here's where the race was won and here's where it was lost. And it was all on that, like at the bottom of Tahoe, maybe like the last mile of the downhill to like the, the second uphill. That was the stretch where Cody Moat put seven minutes on everybody in like a four mile stretch. Like that was where he won the race when he won it a couple of years ago. And just you could see that everybody who finished in the top 10 had like a major surge and then all the people who went out too hard and fell apart on the downhill fell back and, you know, weren't factors after that. So, so I feel like just insights like that, especially at repeat courses, that would be valuable on like a, a live broadcast. And like the two of you, you know, all the athletes, you know, like I know all the athletes at this point, not as personally as, as you do, but like, so you know what it's like to be up at the front, you know, how like when Aaron or someone else who, who's maybe not like an Atkins level, but in that chase pack, like, you know, their tendencies during the race, but when you actually have data associated with it, I feel like that's when you really tie things together. And if they had like a blip on the course, just following the people, showing how people, the lead changes and everything. Oh, Atkins is in 12th place. That's not going to matter. He's never finished worse than seventh, except one time. Like you, you gotta, you gotta see that and add a little bit of perspective to the, for the viewer and give them a reason to watch. Yeah. Before we get ahead of ourselves, for people who don't know, uh, Jack Bauer is like the stats guy of, we'll call Spartan racing because you mostly keep Spartan stats because those are accessible. But we can also say into OCR. So Jack Bauer has been putting together these very intricate, elaborate, well thought out stats for uh, for us as athletes. Whether you're like a top end pro or you're like a, an age grouper, you can find stats on yourself because of this guy. And so, Jack, I want to know when did this idea start and where did, like, what prompted you to start like putting in the work? So I would say there, Two things. So when I was younger, like elementary school level, I got those, the tops baseball card sets. And I remember oh, just yeah. on the back of it, all they have like your, your basic things that you can find online on an ESPN profile or something where you have number of home runs, batting average, ERA, all, all those things, innings pitched. And so I would go through those and just like, I was just fascinated because my team, I grew up in uh, New England. So like the Red Sox, I, I would always be like, all right, who's the highest, highest to lowest, uh, best single season batting average and then i'd sort all of them when i'm like nine years old i was doing it. so I, I and then i'd you know look in the paper and be like these guys are on pace for 100 points in the nhl this year and so, like so i i always love sports numbers 
Um, so that, that's kind of been part of me my whole life, but then OCR happened. Um, and we can get into like how I started and stuff later, but yeah. I remember it was either 2016 or 2017, whatever the last year when they gave a season pass was, um, for like the top 50 in the standings, I was ranked 17, like 50, uh, 17. I was ranked like 51st or 53rd, like just missed it. And I'm looking ahead and I'm like, the, I, I've never lost to this person. Why are they mm-hmm. getting a free season pass? And I get one free race. I'm like, there's got to be a way to show that I'm actually slightly better. And I was like, almost going to petition to Robert Coble and a couple other people like, look, come on. I'm uh, like, why, why am I this place? And I'd look and it's like, Hobie Call won the world championship. Why he's, why is he ranked 3000th in the world? This makes no sense. So I was like, there has to be a way for me to actually put some numbers to paper and see how things are going or just like to reveal the truth a little bit more. So I started digging in the numbers and I was like, okay, maybe if you look at the ratio of the the winner, and because that's basically say that you take 60 minutes and the winner was 58, you just do 58 divided by 60, that would be like your your ratio to the winner. And I was like, okay, that's that's a pretty good metric. I would say if there's one single thing, that's a lot better than what your average place or because it tells you how close to the front you are. And but I was like, there there there's a little bit more to it. Like not all fields are created equal. For instance, West Virginia has been the North American championship the past couple of years. It's the same weekend as West Point in New York. So like if you win at West Virginia, but you win at West Point, you're going to have the same like perfect score for that. But they're completely different races based on depth of competition. So I spent like a while trying to get all these factors on like how good people are, like what's their historical performances, and then building this all into some model um, to determine like how deep was a field. And then I used that to add an extra factor. And there's just a bunch of different things, but it was mainly like, I wanted to quantify how good people really were and how good their performance was just, and it was a little selfish at first, but I, I figured a lot of people would like it. And that I get a lot of messages of people who definitely enjoy it. So this was a personal vendetta. You were like, I need to prove that I am better than 53rd. And so you went on the yeah. back end of things and started digging into race results, came up with all of this on your own to properly rank nobody was helping you at this you just decided just the nerd that you are just to start crunching numbers that you thought were relevant at home well this also happened so before i moved to colorado i got laid off from my job in houston and so i had like a two to two to two and a half month window where i had nothing to do so i was like i here's the time to go after it so so it was 2016 when this happened um and the funny thing is my vendetta was like why am i not top 50 and after I ran the numbers, I ended up being like 90th. So I'm like, oh, okay. On me. But um, but anyway, I, I was like, I've got a little bit of time. I'm just going to go through all the history on Athlinks and the Spartan website and just try to find out what races were there and kind of see what, what has happened. So I started compiling them. And then I'm like, it's 2011. I've got every single race ever. 2012, I've got every single race that took place. And then... You know, I'm like, I, I might as well, or I started with 2016 and I'm like, I might as well try to back do it. Just the more data you have, if I can quantify how good Hobie Call was back in 2011, maybe I can, you know, get, get some people to actually buy into it because they've seen it's worked over time instead of just this one year. Um, so, I, so I started gathering it and then like randomly I'd, I'd see a post in, on Facebook where someone would post a shirt from like 2011 it would be like here's the spartan race schedule because it was on a shirt and i'm like crap i didn't have those four races gotta go back and update everything so like over time i (laughs) it's it's a lot of hours i'm not even gonna lie um but just like finding these results i've I've got 
I basically copy it, paste it into Excel, run, run some macros in the background, and then it, it takes care of the work for me at this point. But I'm not looking and it's like, Kirk, you're number one. Your time with I'm, ne I'm never typing that in manually. It's all like formulas <clears throat> building on itself. And I'm also trying to learn coding right now to, to speed up that process. But it doesn't matter because there aren't races. So, so basically, I, I got all these races and you know, I'm like, might as well try to see what happens this year. And now that they're relevant, instead of me guessing what happened in 2011 and 12 before I really got involved in the sport. And, you know, the more data you have, the better your your ability to accurately model all their numbers is. So so that's kind of how it started. And like I said, it kind of backfired on me in terms of how good I actually was. And uh, but I still feel like it's a cool tool. And you also get to see how the sport has changed. Like w you guys played Madden or NBA Live or some of those games back in the day. How, oh, yeah. how oh, yeah. it was like, holy crap, Tom Brady's a 99. You knew that only a few guys were a 99 or in like if you if they're rated 88 to like 90, you're like, yeah, I'll put them on my roster, but I'm not going to like pay them too much with the salary cap that you're allowed. But so I was like, you know what, that, that's kind of a cool way to do it. Maybe I should put everyone on a zero to 100 scale. So that's kind of what I did. It's like a test. Also, everyone knows that 100, you're perfect and zero, you're not good um, or you suck. So <laughs> um, so I ended up rating everyone and it's like only a few people really rose to the top, like the Hobies, Hunters, Atkins, Albert, like those guys were consistently 97 plus. And then the next pack, which is obviously like if, if one of those guys screws up, for instance, you two would be able to swoop right in there, get a top five, but you're still, there's still a little bit of a gap between like that A and then A2 gap that, that you guys are in. And you guys all just fell into that 95, 96 range. So it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Like it actually gives you your accurate standing kind of in the sport based on like how you'd expect people to be. So, so that's kind of how the, the numbers ended up working out. So we, we have you as a, as a friendless nine-year-old going through all your alphabetizing your tops cars. <laughs> and then we have you as a laid off adult in between these two sad <laughs> points in history. What, what were you doing? Were you continuously number driven in your, in your pursuits? Like when, when you watch stuff, were you always like, like a brain man you know how they show like the numbers going through? Oh, yeah. Head, like, no. <laughs> or, or or did you take a break from that for a while when you were competing and going to school? I, I took probably a 15-year hiatus. So, yeah. I, and I got really? fines and stuff. So, yeah. A little, little bit of a gap in there. But one, one thing that I did, um, and you can kind of probably relate to it, I didn't, I, I didn't start out as a runner. I was, like, in between there growing up. I did every sport except um, football just because I knew people who got concussions and my parents were like, you're not playing tackle football. But I'd still play, like, pickup football on the street and stuff. But like literally everything. Baseball was my first love. I did that for 12 years. Um, I won ultimate Frisbee championships in at Texas A&M for intramurals. I do a ton of racquetball, like basketball, soccer. Like I, I've done every sport. And that was kind of what drew me to OCR where I just like being an athlete as opposed to just a pure runner. Um, so Bracken, you mentioned earlier your five minute mile and dunking a basketball same year. That's pretty, mm -hmm. that's pretty unique. Not too many people do that, especially a 15 year streak. Um, there were a couple of years where I definitely was not in sub five shape after I was done being on the track team. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm not running anymore in college for like a couple of years. I just did intramurals. Um, but I, I've still probably got about a 15 year streak, dunk, or 14 year streak dunking a basketball. So uh, I'm not I'm not quite there. But in terms of like well-roundedness, are there what other things would you say athletically you do that very few do? Like, cause you had a baseball background, right? Yeah. Bracken holds a world record. I got a world record. Oh yeah. That basketball dribbling mile. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a world record. You know what? This summer we should get that ratified. The running public should host a world record day. 
Yeah. We should. People don't know what your world record is, Bracken. What is your world record? World record for running one mile while dribbling a basketball. <laughs> so what was that mile time while dribbling a basketball? Was it 452? It's disgusting. Yeah. You should know. I think it was 452. I think it was. Yeah. I think I can run 439. That would be my goal. I'd, I'd like to break 440 with a basketball. Now, was there traveling involved? Did you travel at all? I had my first carry like six meters from the finish. The ball came up a little <laughs> high and I had so much lactic in my arms. I was having a hard time <laughs> keeping my arms functioning. You have the 1600 record then, not the mile yeah, though. Yeah, I probably made it 1600 and it was that last nine meters that got me. But That's awesome. I, I don't know. I, I think there's a lot of athletes in this sport. Yeah. This actually brings me into, I, I wish I could, I'll, I'll share this after with you. But one of the one of the projects Anthony and I are working on is creating a how did OCR like the top athletes using my rankings? How did they get into OCR? Like what were their backgrounds? And it is crazy. Like people who all they did was judo growing up. Like they're like Tiffany Palmer. She was a speed skater. Like how many other people mm -hmm. do speed skating and then get into OCR? There's no translation there. You've got a, like a good amount of people who were who runners, but probably like half of the top 50 didn't really have a running background. You had like Forrest Bogue, who was a wrestler. Like there, there are some really unique backgrounds. Ryan Kempson, like you said, was a basketball player. It's like, how did people find this sport? And it's I, I personally just like that you can still be a well-rounded athlete and, and do well. That That's the thing that drew me to it. So Kirk, he's clearly just not going to talk about himself. Yeah, oh. you don't like to talk about yourself. Well, my, you, okay, don't leave it open open ended. Ask ask question. Give me like a ten second thing, and then I'll I'll no, ask Let's, you let's just way. move to what you want to talk about. If, if you're gonna no, if you're no, gonna no. fight this, it, it's like no, you know, it's kind of like it's kind of like interviewing Matt B. Davis because Matt B. Davis would like to take control of the podcast and start asking questions. If you yeah. recall, Bauer, you got a little bit of that in you, don't you? Why haven't you started a podcast yet? I guess. Yeah. No. Okay. So. so We'll go. Back, we'll go back to me now that you called me out, and I'm, I guess I don't I realize. I ask him about time. a stat, and he ends up asking me what do I think I do better than anyone else. <laughs> well, what I what I was gonna say is is that um, with the well roundedness, I was I was gonna say Bracken, can you check these off? So I I feel like there are not too many people who who've been able to do this. How, what's your you play uh, baseball growing up? What's your fastest fastball from a mound or like uh, from a mound like measured with a radar gun? I don't think I ever threw faster than uh, like in college tryouts. I think I threw 84. Okay. From a windup, but like from shortstop, I think I hit uh, 93 on a shuffle. Okay. That's pretty legit. Cause I, I, I the last time I got measured in a, using a radar gun was like sophomore year of high school and I hit 81. So I was going to say, I feel like there aren't too many people who have thrown over 80 for who are like in OCR and also dunk a basketball that narrows down the list a lot. Cause I mean, there aren't too many people who are over like six feet, six, like I'm six one, you're about six feet or so. Like, I, I don't know. Kemp Kempson can dunk a basketball. I don't know who else really can. Can um, Kempson dunk? Yeah. He posted something a couple of years ago. That's impressive. Yeah. yeah he's like, he's, he's like five, nine, five, ten. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Um, so, so I feel like that's pretty rare. Can you, can you bench 225 mm -hmm. or have you been able to? Yeah. Okay, so you so you hit that very athletic move, quite the athletic move there. That bench yeah, press. I'm, I'm just talking about like there isn't too much push strength involved in OCR. Um, and then like, are are you good at skiing or snowboarding? Do you have like a winter sports ability? Have Have you ever thrown a football over sixty yards? I don't know if I've ever tested. Yeah. Okay. So I I did sixty three once. And so I, so just in terms of like actual overall athleticism, I I feel and obviously the sub five mile like my my fastest is a four twenty. That was on a downhill course, but my fastest track one is a 432. 
Um, but so, so I feel like in terms of the, the hard to reach metrics that, that kind of sets me in a, in a small group with, with people like you. What else, yeah. what else do you have that you would, you want to brag about hidden talent wise? Ultimate Frisbee. What, it sounds like you were ultimate, good at it. Yeah. Hell Actually, no. you know what? Speaking of ultimate Frisbee, I used to play a little bit and that shit is like a real workout. If you're playing a real game, oh. that is, that is probably, I played soccer and got recruited to do soccer and run in college. I chose running. But I would say ultimate frisbee when you're in an intense game is probably just as taxing or more than a soccer game. Absolutely, from well, my experience. So, so I don't know about you, Kirk. When, when I did it, this, this is when I was in grad school at Texas A and M. It was I didn't run a whole lot, but I used that to stay in shape. Probably two to three hour games. Like you're getting a real workout, and everyone just kind of knew me as the fast kid who could just jump. So they just send it down the field. I'd go sprint for 30, 40 yards. You have to jump up, and then as you know throw to someone else if they drop it or whatever. Now you have to sprint the other way. It, it was a, it's a fantastic way to, to do, to get some like little hidden speed work in there. Ultimate Frisbee is like the aggressive version of soccer where there's more, there's more uh, run outs, I feel. So there's more opportunity for running. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you got to use your hands, a big plus over soccer. Bauer, were you ever actually any good at math or anything like that? Or were you, were you just like a closet mathematician? At math? I mean, I, I, I mean, stats a, could be, you know, lumped uh, in that category. Yeah, so. I've got a master's in civil engineering and took three grad level stats classes. So I've, I've got a All little right, so, so you know what you're doing. This isn't some like well, podunk operation you're running back there. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've been an engineer for seven years. I, I, I kind of know the, the numbers. All right. So how long have you, uh, if you had to guesstimate how long... Have you put into crunching the numbers when it comes to all of these stats? What would you, if you had to, I mean, just throw, I know it's going to be a, a crazy. I was, was going to say in the early stages, it was probably like a couple of, it would probably average four or five hours on a random weekend. Like this is while I was laid off also that like in the early stages mm-hmm. and then just on the weekend trying to do this, or if my girlfriend was hanging out at one of her friend's houses, it, it would probably be like 10 hours a week total. And I did that for about a year and then just updating it throughout the seasons and stuff that's another four or five hours a week like very and i i'm not or four or five hours every other week i'd say um so so it's a lot it's probably like a thousand and what is, what is your hourly rage that you probably made on this what would you average out your hourly wage over time it's not it's not so it's it's pretty much in line with most ocr athletes and their salary <laughs> that's a so, good response so, so you've lost money on this is basically that would be what i would consider in line with most ocr you, you, athletes. you could say that yeah. <laughs> yeah you you said something interesting that ocr has pulled from a lot of different sports so i want to know let's get down to our first like stat question who yeah, is the I, most- I actually have one other thing it just came to mind kirk you mentioned what's what's Ugh. the non-number thing all right Brad. taking control of the damn Jeez. podcast again <laughs> my bad my bad I, and i know matt does that and it drives me crazy and i'm doing it right now i'm sorry <laughs> about that guys but it's it, okay it just popped in my mind so i'm just trying to beat bracken at something uh because i've only oh. beaten him once in a race and we could talk about that later but <laughs> high <laughs> rock fake, we will yeah, yeah. Um, so, so are you good at competitive eating? I've never done competitive eating. You never. Okay. What's the most slice of the pizza you've eaten at one time? Everyone's done that at some point. Been like, how much pizza can I eat? I've never maxed out. That's. I I generally like I eat until it's gone. So if there's, I've, I've eaten a large pizza, but I, it's not like I had a second one there to dive into. Kirk, how you seem like you can put away some pizza. Oh yeah. yeah, I used to make this thing in college called the pizza sandwich, and the pizza sandwich was you would make two Jack's pizzas, and then you just flop them over on each other so the crust was facing both up and down, and you needed <laughs> that pizza sandwich. I put that down. I don't know how many calories is that. That's a good. You're gonna Jack, run. Jack, this makes anyway. me think of something. What's the most pizza you've ever eaten? 
18 slices. Okay. Oh, well, I, here. I, that's how actually the other high school record that I still hold. Okay. How, how do you quantify a slice? I think you'd have to weigh the uh, pizza. You'd have to standard, weigh the pizza. It was at Papa Gino's, which is the restaurant that I used to work at in, in high school. And that's a 16-inch large. So your standard size. And I did that big Texan steak challenge before. You know, the eat 72 ounces of steak and then like mm-hmm. the five sides. I, I was literally the size of my thumb away from finishing that thing with the, the pizza and then or uh, the, the potato at the end. And then I just ran out of time. They give you an hour time limit. If I had an hour and like seven seconds, I would have. Do you think that your eating prowess has transferred to the OCR course? Absolutely. I've got this big gut. I would say that your big gut has led to more disappointing finishes than any other person's gut that I know. <laughs> that is a perfect transition, bracket. <laughs> You're the only person I've ever watched veer off course to poop and then come back and beat me in a race. <laughs> in an indoor course also, not just in an indoor that. race. <laughs> Can we tell this story here? I want to hear more. All right. So yeah, High Rocks, Miami. Jack, take a back seat. This is my podcast. I was going to say Brackett's taking over. <laughs> Thank you, Jack. <laughs> I'm just going to tell up until the point where I saw you leave. You can take over. High Rocks, Miami. I'm on the struggle bus. This is the first High Rocks they've done in the U.S., and I'm not prepared for it. And I have blown up, but Jack is doing worse than me. And I have a comfortable lead over him. I'm on the rower and he's still doing the preceding thousand meter run before getting to it. And I see him run past, leave the running track and head out down a corridor to the bathroom. And I write Jack off (laughs) as a potential competitor. And on the last coming into the last station, he passed me on the run and beat me. So what? So I'm convinced he skipped a station after pooping. He counted that as a station. It might have well been. Um, so what Bracken's not telling you is the reason I was way behind him on the rower was because I was running like I was about to have my pants explode, which is basically what was going to happen. Um, and so I'm, I'm like a lap behind him. And we we crossed paths. Like I was exiting a zone when you were running, like fit, doing your next lap. And then I basically just ran to your right shoulder and just ran off the course. And I, I remember thinking to myself, I'm going to catch this guy. And I needed to take a dump so bad. That was like, it was like 30 minutes into a race for some reason, like my normal pre-race routine just did not work. I go in there, do my business, wash my hands because I'm not going to go touch stuff afterwards. So I, I even, I even washed my hands during this race. And by the time that I came out, Bracken was a little ahead of me and I, I just kind of slowly kept uh, gaining on you. And you look like a a kid who was lost on the uh the lunges you were just like looking around side to side like oh my god i i just want this thing to be over and then i remember at the wall balls you kind of fell apart and i guess i caught you there but that's the only time i've ever beat you i just want to know how long this damn rest break took you how long uh, do you think it took you and did you wipe fully so, so from the time of exiting the course and then returning to the course my if you look at my laps it's hilarious uh, every, everything's like 350 to four minutes for all my thousand meter splits. And then there's a random 559 in there. So I think that the total of exiting the course, w- like wandering through the, the side area, uh, finding the bathroom, waiting, if, you know, knocking on the door, like guys, get out of here. I got to go. And then wash my, take, taking care of business and then wash my hands. That was about two minutes total. And then re- returning to the course. I could have been faster than that. I don't know that I, I probably had to run close to 50 meters to get to this bathroom. So that's, that adds time to it as well. Mm-hmm. So what, what's your worst uh, mid-race poop story? I'm sh- it's happened to every runner. There's no way it hasn't. Nope. That's neither here nor there. We, we will have our, our bathroom episode. But for now, we're going back to Jack Bauer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, I, I think <laughs> for your bathroom episode, you should you should have like not collars, but like 
invite people on for like a three minute recap of their worst poop story, move on to the next person, you know, something like that. Yeah. It's going to be a collective group effort. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> That's going to be hilarious. All right. You did. We, we alluded to this twice and now this third time you're not going to derail us anymore, Jack. Mm-mm. The athlete who is most successful in our sport, who has risen to the highest level coming from a non-running background. You'd mentioned Tiffany Palmer, and she's a consistent podium threat on what we'd call like the regional races. Yeah. Uh, not threat. She consistently wins those races. She was a speed skater. So people like that. Kempson, who was a, um, a basketball player, he's obviously right up at the top. Who is the best, most successful athlete who came from a different path? I, I mean, Zuzana, you can't say John Elbin. That's cheating. I was going to say John, but like he, he does rollerblading or roller hockey and stuff. But Zuzana Kotsamova, two-time world champion, she was a Olympic skier. Um, yeah. So that's not that, – that kind of makes it uh, – that's not running, but it's still like a primarily endurance-based sport. Um, okay, so let's take out endurance sports because John had done John, skiing and skating. John, she had Johnny Little Lima, soccer. Yeah, I, I, I would put him up there. Um, I know Richard Heineck. He was a soccer player as well. He just won the Greece trifecta. He seems to be year. a monster. Yeah. Um, Albert Soleil, he was like a, a mountain biker, right? They were downhill. He was like Xterra, kind of like Miriam. Um, so he, he doesn't necessarily have the running background. And Atkins was all bike too, though, wasn't he, for years until he wanted to win an ATV in an OCR race. So he started running, if I'm not mistaken. I, I think he nailed that right there, Kirk. That's yeah. perfect. Um, I'm just trying to, I, I feel like VJ, he ran, but OCR was still his sport. But that means he was a runner, I would say. He's probably the only person at this point who grew up doing OCR who's relevant. Um, I don't. I can't really think of anybody else who, like, off the top of my head, was is there. I know that there are several like skiers, um, like Aaron Newell. He was doing that. Uh, he did, also ran too. He did. Um, did Ian Hosick? What, what was he beforehand? No, I don't think he did run. What did he do? Is he a soccer guy too? He probably was. I, I, he wasn't I a runner. Climbed. Yeah, yeah it, it it seems like there a lot of people are were runners at some point but not necessarily in college um so just kind of what i'm saying i know alex walker she rode horses that was her only background in terms of like sports or anything athletic and then she just randomly got an ocr because you want to do like trail running and then obviously she got fifth last year at world championship so you wouldn't expect someone like that but it's all she's got that mental game and that really paid off she she just the, the suckier the conditions she just does so well in those have we ever had someone on a world podium who is not an endurance sport athlete prior to OCR? And you're excluding Alvin? Uh, it all endure, like skiing, cycling, those all count. So an endurance sport athlete, a uh, non-endurance sport athlete prior to OCR. Do you, well, I guess Hunter, he, he was doing running in high school and stuff. Um, probably not. I don't think so. So despite there being multiple ways to get here, we haven't yeah. yet had someone crack through from something else. Yeah, like Corinna, she she got second one year. She was triathlon. Claude, she she won. She was a skier. Uh, Matt triathlon, Murphy. I'm yeah. just thinking like the old days. Matt Murphy, he was a cross country runner. Like yeah, you're you have to be an endurance athlete to really rise to the top. Even Atkins, without a pure running background, he still was doing like 24 hour bike races and stuff. So yeah, he's probably the closest. Yeah. He probably made it the longest in life without being an endurance athlete. Yeah. Yeah. And now how funny he's, he's Maybe known, like, the undefeatable endurance athlete at this point. Right. No, no, I want to dive into real quick. Cause you brought something up about VJ being really the only sort of relevant younger character in our sport. What's going on with that? Why are we missing that 
we should, if I think of myself back in my college years, I would kick my ass right now. Like I would, I honestly feel like I would be a different force if I was running Spartan races, I'd be a VJ or better to be honest. And now, and now I'm, you know, hanging on here in my mid thirties, but like, where are those younger generation kids? Like where, why are they not more prevalent in this sport right now? Are they running college? You think, what are they doing? I've totally had that same thought. And I think some of it has to do with NCAA eligibility, where if you win prize money, like there is prize money there, you're not going to win a whole lot in road racing necessarily. But if you're like a fit college athlete, but having that team aspect, I feel like a lot of people who would come in and, you know, they're a 24, 30, 8K runner in college cross country Mm -hmm. or something like that. They, without question, they'd be top 10 in the sport if they come in and put on a little bit of muscle or had some athletic background. I would think um, after like a year or so, but I, I feel like that's it. That's it right there. We talked about it with Woods, and you just nailed it. After yeah. a year or so, yeah, no one's not no one. There are so few people willing to take getting destroyed for a year before they start doing the destroying. You guys nailed it in that uh, Ryan Woods podcast. I thought that you asking him about taking his his beatings and then sticking with it, and like that was it's so interesting to hear his perspective on why he was willing to actually stick around after that. Cause so, and it sounded like he was, <laughs> he was basically just coming in. He's like, no one's going to touch me. And then of course didn't end up happening. DNF it some major like world's toughest mother early on. And then Killington after being right out the front at the beginning. And I, I it's super admirable that like he actually stuck around. Mm-hmm. Um, but so few people who, who was it a couple years ago, Aaron, Aaron Fletcher, Aaron the, Fletcher. Yeah. Yeah. He was like a, 840 steeplechaser or something in college and he was top three at the hour mark or so of tahoe right at the top of the hill and then he just fell apart after that as soon as you make him do burpees or anyone who's not used to doing this and then having to do some heavy carries late in the race and get in uncomfortable cold conditions in the swim like people just fall apart it happened to david torrance and uh aj acosta the basically olympic trials or olympic runners um a few years ago also you, you probably beat them right Bracken, that race Well, you know what, though, like, I I think there's a lot of credit that is going undeserved to like our second tier athletes, because I came and took my lumps, I took 58th at the world champs my first year, and I kept coming back like people like a Tyler Veerman, or even like a Luna Lima or Kempson, even if you talk about like, I think there's a lot, I mean, Woods is the epitome of that. And he's, you know, he ends, he ends up on top, but there's a lot of people in that, you know, one B group and two A group that have come around for years and years and stuck with it. Mm-hmm. It's just rare, rare exception for Woods to be like a world-class runner yeah. and then come in and do it. So for instance, Robert Killian, his first race, he ran it at Breckenridge. He ended up getting third in a beast in like a random, just normal Colorado beast. And he lost by 10 minutes to someone who's not even in the sport anymore. And it's like, now he's multiple world champion. Very few, who, who has come in and immediately been a threat? Yeah, uh, Matt Novakovic said something years ago. He said, you are your third race. And I don't think that that's 100% accurate, but it's it's very close for a lot of people where your first your first race is just a freebie. You get to throw it out the window. And your second race is a learning process too. And by your third, you get to at least see who you could be. And most studs won't take two beatings to find out who they could be on their third try. And, and I think it's rare the people who will. We said it before, but our sport's currently promoting from within. It's the Kempsons, the Luna Limas, who took their lumps throughout the years. Uh, I, I like to say this a lot, but uh, John Yasko is 178th at D1 Cross Country Nats. 
Like he was the 178th best cross country runner in division one his year. So in theory, if only 10% of the people who beat him actually had OCR aptitude, there are 17 people better than John Yatsko. And when John Yatsko was serious about the sport, there were probably two people on this planet who were capable of beating him when he was on. And that was Hobie and Cody at the time. And so like, there are those people out there, but of the 178 people ahead of him, I only know of one who tried OCR. So Ryan Woods or no, of that year. And that was, um, Matt, you, you'll know the name. He ran for Florida. Uh, he ran the Texas beast. He just ran Olympic trials in the marathon. Uh, Enoch, Enoch, Enoch Nadler. Yeah. So Enoch Nadler, we have one. So out of that 178 people, weird. he just tried it, but he didn't stick around, but he was he good. Least- he beat me in a beast. He did 180 burpees. But these people, it was so not fun for him. And he took fourth place and didn't win money. Like, why would he come back? So anyways, this is a long winding way to ask a setup for a question. You're the stats guy. You've seen people draw from here. If you had to pick a background for someone to come into OCR, because Spartan has tried with the Spartan combine and sourcing who the next stud is going to be. If you were in charge of sourcing the next stud, what would your criteria be? How would you pick out the next generation. Uh, let's say this was an Olympic sport. How would you choose your youth development team? I, I, that is a, I've never heard that question before. So I or discussed it on a, on a podcast. That's awesome. Um, I would say definitely we, we kind of, you're saying who would want to be, or how to be like a world championship content podium contender. You definitely. Yeah, if you, if you had to background. source out Spartans next pro team, like the, the Spartan farm team, where would you look? Oh, um, I would probably look towards the, the young twenties, athlete who probably ran or skied has some type of endurance background probably running because it immediately translates um but i feel like you'll find the the clods and the zuzanas and like the, the people who were good or aaron's who, who were good skiers but then transitioned to running or trail running at some point but definitely an endurance background but every single kid did you did you have them on your team the the one who'd be doing push-ups instead of like right after practice like the ones you could tell there were a couple on each team who actually enjoyed lifting um, mm-hmm. those would be the ones, cause you can tell that they're, and I, I think being a cross country runner, cause they're used to interruptions in their stride as opposed to like woods obviously is the easy example where he's a 13 55 K guy. And same as a guy like Batris, who's a two nineteen marathoner. Those, those are uninterrupted, set your metronome, your, your cadence is never going to change. Um, but the cross country, you're used to rolling hills. You might have to step around this mud puddle or you have the undulations and the terrain and stuff. You're, you're able to kind of plan ahead for the hill that's coming up and adjust your paces. But so I would say that the cross country runner who enjoys doing at least body weight exercises is probably where I would go in a colder climate as well, just based on how OCR has tended to be in championship races later in the season. If, if you can deal with the cold, you're probably going to be better there as well. Yeah. It's hard to argue with that. I think the, uh, the accomplished runner who finds the gym shortly after college, which is my case, I graduated college at 140 pounds. And then now I'm like 170, like, because I, fi- I think there's a lot of people who are sick of being the skinny kid and they get done with school and running and they're like, I'm going to start lifting weights. Cause I can, it's like a good balance. It's a good thought. I went from 157 to 185 in my first year, not running in college. Beer gut or muscle? Uh, so I remember coming home for Thanksgiving and my mom was like, your, your face is looking uh, fuller. So that, that kind of seemed like I, a little bit of fat, but I, I definitely toned up afterwards. But so, so you had the 30 pounds or so over the course of your post running career. How about you, Brocken? I did mine after my freshman year, actually, of college, because I ran on scholarship my first year and didn't 
belong there and got hurt and was outclassed. And I switched back that spring and um, transferred and tried to play baseball. So I put on my, I did my muscle building and power training and speed training all spring, all summer, and then tried playing baseball that fall. So that's when I went from, uh, I went from 139 pounds to about 179 pounds, 175 just that summer. So I got mine done early. So you were a college 800 runner at 175 or so? Yeah, I got cut from the team. And then I, I discovered that all that lifting and sprinting had had uh, really enabled some faster running on me. So then when I cut down some weight, I, I became a, a runner. Do you, do you guys worry about weight? Because I personally don't care. I, I think I usually perform my best if I'm like around 180. That just kind of seems it. But if... If it's like race day and I'm like 184, I could care less. I, I think that it's you, you can kind of feel if you're fit. That's the way that I see it. Um, and a lot of people, I, I, I don't know. Do you guys cycle or, or like towards the end of the year, you're intentionally trying to cut weight because you know that Tahoe, for instance, in the past with a longer course and you don't want to have to carry that extra five pounds up uphill or do you just kind of go on? I'm, I'm fit right now. I'm just going to keep with what's working. Yeah, I don't look at the scale. Um, I would say that if you really do follow a natural periodization of the season, though, I will lift much heavier and more frequently in what we call the off season. Then I will taper my frequency as the season progresses and that'll naturally lose a few pounds. Um, I think a lot of people go through that progression, but it's not intentional. So yeah, I don't think it matters at all. I don't pay attention. I don't think you do either, Bracken, do you? I actually weigh myself at least once a day. Um, I'm always tracking that. Um, I'm not obsessive about what I weigh. I'm obsessive about kind of why I weigh. That makes yeah. more sense. And and I, I like looking at trends between how I'm racing at different circuits versus what my weight is. And so I know like if I'm trying to be the best super or beast runner, I'm like 162 to 165. And if I want to be really good at stadiums, I'm like 67 to 70. And high rocks has got to be 180 plus. And so it depends on what the requirements of the race are. If I was just trying to be a fast runner, I'd, I'd be in the 150s. Um, but mm. obviously that doesn't translate as well in this sport. Yeah. 165 to 170 is my sweet spot, depending on the type of course. Before we leave your stats, uh, stuff, which we're already kind of doing. Um, I just want to know, I want to know, and do you have some, did we have like a little game set up potentially? Did you have some questions you were going to throw at us? Yeah, I, I was, you do. we might be able to do some part of the interruption type format where I just throw a topic at you. You guys talk about it for a minute and a half. Uh, if I feel like you guys are going the wrong direction, I'll just kind of throw in some stats, but I, I want to hear you guys debate because it's, you guys know your stuff. And yeah, I, I think that out of all the commentators in the sport, or not commentators, but like people who have done podcasts or pre, I, I guess both of you have done a commentating for Spartan in the past on some live broadcasts. Like, I feel like you guys tie the actual content and knowledge of training plus knowing the top athlete, like better than pretty much everyone else that I've seen. Oh, thanks, Jack. Yeah. But before we jump into that, I want to know one last thing about your stats. And that is, what is your ultimate goal with all this, man? Where do you see this playing out? Like if you could fast forward three years, what do you want to get out of all of this before we move on to other than you here? Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Um, I, I think that it would just be fun to the, like just have that legacy as the guy who knew stats. I don't know if there's ever going to be like an OCR Hall of Fame or something, but they always have in baseball the contributors or like the the early years people who are relevant or and like the the founding people. Obviously, like a Joe DeSena or a Yancey would would fit that category or mm -hmm. like a Matt B. Davis for what he's contributed in terms of the podcast. But I feel like just if OCR is to keep expanding, like it, it would just be fun to be known as the person who actually tried to bring mainstream sports to, or like stats that are common in mainstream sports, 
bring it to OCR and endurance events because it just doesn't really exist. You just don't have that. Like you'll listen to Monday Night Football and be like, this is the first left-handed quarterback since 1972 when the weather is over 80 degrees. To You know, th- those random things. I, I just think it would be cool to actually have, you know, some influence on that becoming more mainstream. Yeah. Would you, would you be, you know, Bracken brought up, it'd be nice to have you on like a computer shouting stats into like our broadcaster's ears. Would you be willing to work for free? Cause you're so passionate about this. Uh, like I, as your baby. I wouldn't want to travel there for free, but like if, the, if they bring me on, I, I think to earn my stripes maybe, but like at the same time, I do, I do think that free labor kind of sucks. Um, realistically i've been doing it for a while but um i I think that if people rec like enjoyed seeing that like the the example where bracken i'm talking in his ear and you're giving the stats you probably know a lot of them it's just giving you some finer details um and i feel like if that kept bringing in the you know improving the direction of the the live streams they're obviously going all over the place whether it's you know delayed coverage or no talking and it's just some guy on a gopro like if, if we could find a way to actually get good live coverage and commentating with that, that, that I think would be really cool to, to be a part of regardless of pay or not. Yeah, I agree. So this is, you would still say this is more of a passion project than a, than a uh, lucrative uh, hope, hope, so to speak. Let's, let's just say if, if this job opportunity was around in January, like the ideal thing, and then I accepted it, let's just say that it probably wouldn't have been a good decision given the coronavirus and the fact that there are no races going on. So it's, it's a passion project hundred percent for now. All right. It's pure. It's pure. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Jack. Should we jump into this uh, discussion? Yeah. Mr. Bauer. Dial her uh, up here for us. Let's see. Yeah, what topics you want to throw at us? I don't don't know if you guys saw my post recently, but I posted a picture of my Mount Rushmore of OCR. I want to hear. I'll I'll leave leave you a couple minutes each. Who's on your Mount Rushmore and why? Male only, and then female only. So we'll start with the men only. Kirk, you go first, and it doesn't have to be Spartan. We asked. uh, We asked Toby Call this question. Yeah. uh, Based on your suggestion in our first episode, Uh, you know, he listed off. it's going to be hard to refute a couple of the names that we've already heard. You know, um, the most consistent man in the in North America is Ryan Atkins. So how do you you know? And even every time we count Ryan Atkins out, I think this discussion has been had a million times. But Ryan Atkins continually proves us wrong when we think a short, fast, flat course isn't going to be his style. He goes and puts us in the dirt. Mountains, long, short, doesn't matter. He's probably the most well-rounded. Him and Hunter McIntyre, Spartan or OCR athletes that are out there, I would say. Um, that would lead me into uh, – I don't – I'm going to hold off on Hunter for a second. I'm going to throw John Albin in there based on the fact that any race he shows up at, he is uh, – he's he's one of the heavy favorites to win. And I, I haven't raced against him on a short course, but I, I, I know he's just a stud there as well. So how do you dispute that, right? Um, we're going to have to throw Hobie Call on there. God, you know, dang it, I'd like to see him racing again. He says he's going to. Um, his stats – what his stats uh, tell us what, uh, Jack, that he – he wins like 95% of the races he's entered. and It was something like 50 out of 55 Spartans. He's podiumed. He's podiumed. Is that what it was? So Crazy. So, yeah, how do you dispute Hobie Call? Uh, and then the other man, uh, God, you could go between Cody Moats. You could go between, you know, Cody Moat won world championships. Hunter McIntyre never has uh, in the long course format anyways. But would, you know, would Cody Moco win a short course? I don't know. Hunter has. Um, I'm just going to put a split face a half Cody face, half Hunter face up there. Cody McIntyre. Cody McIntyre. 
Uh, it'll be a, a unique uh, looking creature up on that Mount Rushmore, but I'm going to split the difference there. We need some Photoshop. If anybody is good with Photoshop, <laughs> make a Cody Mode Hunter. <laughs> that would be a nice combo. I'm going to stick with that. Bracken? Yeah. I, I, I choose the exact same people, honestly. Uh, John Alvin, Hobie Call are the two greatest OCR athletes of all time. And Ryan Atkins is, if he's not their equal, he is as close as anyone could possibly be. Those, those three are head and shoulders above everyone else in the history of OCR because of their range, their longevity, the things they've accomplished. Uh, those three guys, you could choose Hobie, John, or Ryan and say they are the best of all time, and you wouldn't be wrong. And then Cody Moat is a multiple-time world champion, and there are not many people in the world that can say that. You know, there are only three men that can say they are multiple-time world champion at major distances, and so those have to be the four. Um, Hunter is my fifth. I know that you don't get a fifth, but I'm taking a fifth, and it's Hunter, and he is not one of the four because he does not have multiple world uh, podiums or world titles, but he is the fourth because of his dominance across so many realms of OCR. When you combine power with OCR in the TMX format, uh, High Rock Stadium, he stands alone. You know what? If you take all of the guys we mentioned and you took them all on their best day, their best day. I just split the difference between Cody Moat and Hunter McIntyre, but I think Cody Moat on his best day is still the best racer we've seen in the sport ever. Cody Moat on his best day will beat every other, maybe John Albin on his best day. I don't know if Cody Moat can be beat on his best day. And I think they have uh, similar skills. If either of them get beat, it's going to be because um, of heavy carries for the most part, or, or because Cody missed a spear. Cody went for a while where he never lost a race where he ran clean which is crazy. Uh, but yeah, if you took their their highest peak and put all of them in a race, and it, Cody's Cody's best day is just better than almost anyone we've ever seen. And I only don't say... Cody's one more convincingly at times. Yeah, and then at the same time, I would say John, because outside of altitude double carries, I've never seen him that pushed. Like He just kind of wins. And so it's, uh, yeah, I, I, you can't vote against either of those two. But prime Hobie, prime Cody, prime John on their best day would be spectacular to watch. And they'd all beat him. Prime Atkins. <laughs> it's, it's so disrespectful to Ryan to say that. But at the same time, like he's taken second to all of these men, you know? And mm-hmm. so but he's like, taken I, second when only one of them has beat him. Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. Like each one of them has had a day. We don't know if that's his best day. What I would like to see, and this might be the only reason why Ryan hasn't ever been considered like the unanimous best of all time is because he never won a world championship. He's also never, to our knowledge, trained an entire year focusing on one world championship. And I've got to believe that in Tahoe, for example, or Killington, where he's lost by less than a minute multiple times, if he put together nine months of training with one goal in mind, that he had 30 seconds more in him on that day. So maybe he is the best we've ever seen, and he's just been the least focused on one domain that we've ever seen. Most versatile. That's how I put it. But mm-hmm. I, I, I would agree. I, I would put uh, Atkins, Albin, or I'd put Albin number one, then Atkins, then Hobie, and then I would put Hunter just due to his, he's unbeatable at shorter courses. And he's also had, like, he's he has the highest percent of races where he's ended up on the podium at major races 
out of anybody in history for like U.S. Mm-hmm. National Series, NBC, you, you take all those into effect, he is number one. So he he brings it. Um, and I, I think it's amazing. A lot of people don't put Robert Killian in the mix, even though he's multiple champion. Mm-hmm. And he basically, I think until last year, he was on every single podium at the U.S. National Series from like 2016, 17, 18, like every single race for like 15 in a row. And, and then obviously he's never finished off the podium at Tahoe in the five years and he's won two of them. And, but it, it just seems like a lot of people go towards what is peak Cody or peak Hunter. And that that's kind of how they draw the line. So that's a really good point because based off his highs, he's as deserving as anyone. I think he's oh. had more lows. Like you talk about Hunter doesn't show up unless he's going to be on the podium. And those other guys don't miss the podium very often. Atkins had a little streak there a year or two ago where he had a couple misses, but for the most part, um, I think their overall consistency over time puts them there. But yeah, I guess why 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 wouldn't Killian be on that? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's Killian so- takes his lumps early in the year. He shows up. He knows he's not prepared, but he shows up because he likes to race and he's obligated to. I think. And another guy, you take Ryan Woods in his 2018 season, he was as bulletproof as anybody we had seen. If he, Without a few a couple obstacle failures, he would have cleaned house the whole series. Mm-hmm. He could have won every single race in the series. There's a couple what-ifs. There Wood, totally are. Woods in 2018. Right, right, right. Wait, wait. This is literally uh, – You got this coming later? My, my next question. I was, I was going to say, in the history of OCR – Choose who you would have liked to have seen, to have like pursued it through now. Because there have been people who have come and gone, like Matt Murphy, unbelievable. He got second place in the 2013 World Championship. He raced 22 races in his career until a couple of years ago and never got worse than second, ever. And I, granted, Australia is not as deep, but he came over and proved that he can hang with the top guys. Um, but then he got some like overuse injury and wasn't able to train for like two years. But anyway, th- there have been people who have come and gone. Who would you? Who do you wish stuck around? Right, right away for me is John Yatsko. I think that John has never ever regained the fitness or drive or time commitment that he had back in what 2014, 2013, 14, 15, That that range in there, uh, he was as dangerous and well rounded as anyone, and um, probably one of the only people that could run with Hobie and Cody on their type of terrain when they all opened up. But we only saw one season of him dialed in on OCR, and he rattled off like a seven-win streak against all of those guys. And the thing that's crazy about Yasko, he did this early on, and obviously the sport has – the depth has just accelerated like crazy over the past few years. He still got like 10th a couple of years ago at, yeah. at Tahoe. And it's like – And then won- I would add Max King and Aaron Fletcher to that. Uh, Max we caught in his later 30s, and Aaron Fletcher only ran two races, maybe three, but both of those guys, uh, Max picked up obstacles quick. He just never picked up heavy carries and prepped for that, but he smoked people at Atlas Race, and Aaron Fletcher made it halfway through a podium position in Tahoe in his second overall race. And so both of those guys untapped potential for days. One thing that I've heard about Max King is that he has a restriction in his contract that bars him from OCR. I've heard that from a couple people on different podcasts. I don't know if it's true, but that could be the reason why Solomon, I think, is not allowing him to. That could be. And he also had a terrible experience. He came out to one Spartan race and it was Killington at the death year when we had the double sandbag carry that no one had ever seen before. Um, and he just was miserable on the mountain for hours. And so, yeah, I think I, I, he might have that now, but he also got the worst taste of Spartan that he could have had in his first experience. 
I would have uh, I would have liked to seen Joshua McAdams stick this out a little bit. Uh, Joshua McAdams has run two Spartan races in his career. They were last year. He failed his spear in his first Utah. Two years sprint. ago, right? Two, yeah. Uh, oh yeah, it would be two years ago. That was the year, year and a half ago. Colin Forrest. Forrest. Well, yeah, yeah. And Joshua McAdams missed his spear in a sprint in his first Spartan race. Still came back, won, and beat Forrest. Okay, and I think Forrest ran a clean race, and then he went and failed a thing or two in Utah. And I watched, there was an out and back in Utah two years ago where we were basically going, we were running right at the people going the other way. And Joshua McAdams was right on Killian's heels six miles into that nine mile race before Joshua McAdams failed some stuff. And he wasn't even technically a mountain runner yet. Um, so Joshua, he was an Olympic steeplechaser for the U.S. He's a guy that would do some real damage and he's got a frame on him. He could handle this sport easily. And then on the women's side, the women's side's been so sparse. We need to see Nell Rojas and Tia Reagan come back and give this a real shot. Nell Rojas could come and really be another cool name to have in the sport. And Tia Reagan as well just needs to get her obstacle proficiency down. But like those two ladies need to come back. If you guys know them and are hearing this, like tell them to get their butt back to a race. Yeah. Yeah. Those two is, I I can't pick two better than that. They're the male equivalents of what we talked about. People who are better Mm -hmm. runners than we have in our sport can handle off-road and just need that six month obstacle (laughs) acquisition stage. Yeah. Yeah, totally. There's one other name, Bracken. You're you're probably the only person who this is, but Morgan Aratola. Mm. Do you remember her? She had like a 30 minute lead at Killington one year in the world championship and then just fell apart. Yeah, she entered the water, did burpees, cramped coming out of the water, cramped during burpees, and then like, yeah, started crying and breaking down. But she she would have been in it. And again, that was a terrible year at Killington. If you put her on a like quote unquote tame course like Utah, <laughs> we might have seen, you know, a, a new star. But when that's your first taste and it's a camera's watching you break down and it rebroadcasts it 30 times a year, like, yeah, you're not coming back. Gotcha. Okay, next question. Um the obvious answer would be someone like Albin or something, but like people who are within your like immediate contenders, who is the person who you fear the most when you see them on your shoulder with like a mile to go? Hmm. That's a good question. I feel like it varies so damn much for me. I'm like in that like second tier chase group. It's always somebody different. Um, Oh, who would it be? I don't know. I don't, I don't have a, I'm going to think about that. I'll have an answer in a second. What about you, Bracken? I'd say the guys that um, I have the least desire to be next to in a race are Ryan Kempson, Hunter McIntyre, um, Isaiah Vidal, and um, and I guess Ryan Atkins. Those are four of the guys who do not care what you do to them and don't do not care what they do to themselves in order to drop you. Like there are people, you know, if I surge at the right time, they'll lose interest. Or if I can get a 10 meter gap, they'll give up. Um, those four guys won't, and they will gladly hurt themselves to hurt you. And then I'll, I'll add Killian to that list, except in the first half of a race. Mm-hmm. I haven't had a lot of contact with him in the second half of races, but we've seen days where if he doesn't have it, sometimes he's just like content to finish the race out. But he will hurt himself as badly as any person I've ever seen in the first half of a race in order to destroy the rest of the field. So those are that's my like Mount Rushmore of pain tolerance are those five. It's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Any answer, Kirk? Or or is there anybody who Um you- I think I think I think as far as like hurting themselves to hurt others, like Ryan Kempson leads the way. That guy's not afraid to uh put himself in as much or more hurt, even at the detriment to his potential race result. For me, a constant thing I need to work on is going out harder. To be honest, I've only eaten people up in the last few miles of a race. I don't I can't think of one that I've been passed at because I probably maybe hold the throttle back early. 
So that's uh, I need to be more of the Kempson mindset, I would say, moving forward. I'll, I'll add another name to that list. Uh, Tyler Bierman. Tyler yeah. likes to close races down and he likes to catch people who are ahead of him. He just like and he he's the kind of person and I, I put him in Josh Monster's category, Jack, to throw a name from a decade ago, God, who race with a smile on their face. Like they're at, they're genuinely happy for you on how you're doing on the race course. And that pisses me off. Like you'll see him on a switchback and you're trying to break them and they'll smile and be like, Hey, great job. And they're not just saying that, like they yeah. genuinely want you to do well. And that's the worst. That's almost worse than someone being a dick to me. It's like, Hey, I'm <laughs> trying to break you. Stop smiling. Like I, I caught, I caught Veerman and big bear. Cause he went out hard and then he exploded, you know? And he was in the burpee pit when I was th- going to throw my spear and he was miserable. And he looked up at me and said, great job, man. Keep it up, buddy. And I was like, you, your race just fell apart. And he still looked at me with a smile on my face. Bless that damn guy's heart, Tyler. Veerman. Yeah. And those yeah. guys are the worst because if they're having a bad day, it's not as bad to them. Like I might throw in the towel. He's going to, he's going to run his face off to try to catch me in the last half mile of a race that doesn't matter. And that's a dangerous person to have there. Who's just always excited and just looking to do great. Sweet. Um, hmm. Okay. Next, next, next question. We sort of talked about it on our Mount Rushmore, but if you had to bet all the money in the world that you have on the single winner of a neutral, like sea level rolling Hills, regular difficulty Spartan uh, super, who would you put as the winner? Is it a, is it a dry course? Um, doesn't matter. John Elbin. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Not, not Seattle, not Texas in between there. Just like a, you know, a regular 60 degree day, like just pretty ideal conditions. You're going Alvin. Yeah. I, I, I would just because he's lost in the big races that I've seen him in. He's lost less convincingly than anyone else I've ever seen. I see myself for some reason, if I, I keep wanting to put Ryan Woods in there, like if he has his race and everything's a clean condition, that's, when he's that's ready, not a bad choice. I don't know why I feel like on that course, 60 degrees, nice day, rolling hills. I've seen him on too many dominate those situations. So, Although I, I will know. say this, if we're talking prime, prime, Hobie is so good. And he's another one of those people that's always happy on course. And he will go head to head with someone all day long, but he'll outdo them on every little, little piece of the course. You saw Hobie in the early years. How was he like compared to the He's faster than we ever saw him once the sport evolved. Yeah. But was he he always good? Was he like, how do you think that peak 2011 or 12 Hobie call would have done today's he always had really, really good strength to weight ratio. And so um, he could always carry. He got a little better than that in his later years, but he always had grip strength. So I think he would have transitioned really well to the current courses. And unless you go back and find videos, there are very few people who have seen Hobie Call open up and run. Like he, he ran fast in that national series when he swept. He flew back in the day he, because he was just faster. He was, he was eight years closer to the, when he was a 14 flat 5k runner and he was eight years closer to when he was a 216 marathoner. And he, his threshold pace at that time was like 450 or 448. Whereas by the time it rolled around to the later years, it was probably closer to five flat 510, uh, where when he first started the sport, 512 was his marathon. So so that, that he could click back in to 512 at his worst on flats but like in a sprint or a super he could sit at 450 pace for a long time comfortably in between obstacles after crawls 
And he was he was faster on every type of terrain back then than he was when he won his world championships. And that's kind of scary to think about. What, what people don't realize a lot about Hobie, you, you know, the Pikes Peak Ascent and the Pikes Peak Marathon, he got second in the Ascent one. He ran like a 216, like climbing up bar trail to the top of that. He got second. Cody Mope, by comparison, was like 240-ish the one year that he did it. Uh, now, to be fair to Cody, yeah. that was his summer of Achilles issues and thyroid medication not happening yet. Okay. I didn't, so I didn't he was, he was extremely depleted. But you're right. Hobie at the time, we knew Hobie as Steady Eddie when he was winning the National Series where he didn't do anything wrong and he capitalized. Five years before that, he was the he was – he was minutes faster on the flats than he was then. He was scary fast at the beginning. Yeah, I, I would argue that he was probably as good of a climber as Woods like has been and shown to be recently. Like I, he was probably even. I don't know if, if Woods would be able to run a two sixteen up Pikes Peak. Yeah, he yeah. was so efficient. He was like a water bug. He just skittered around the course, but fast. You can find some of his videos from Texas and Temecula early on in his Spartan, like 2010, 2011 stuff. Oh, the Josiah is running. Battle. Yeah, he is running way under five on all of the flats, and he you don't see speed like that these days in the sport. Yeah, absolutely. We were, Kirk, we were just talking about Hobie's early dominance and how that would uh, mm. translate to today. Um, I may or may not have just run to the bathroom. I'll help this part out. You don't do that in a race, <laughs> at least. Um, I don't. I don't. It, yeah. 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 So, so th this past year, we've seen a lot of people, or, or last year specifically. Are we going to do women dog. for who we bet our lives on? You're right. Okay. Now what you sorry. We're and we're talking current day, everybody current fitness. Pike, not Pike. like Hobie of best and this of best. We're talking current day. I no, I don't I think peak peak athlete ability. That peak that athlete ability. Yeah. So let's hear the women. Uh Rolling Hills. Uh if if you bet against that's a pretty I think that's an easy answer for me right now. I know I'm that actually, the I'm actually going away from that. On Rolling Hills, I'm taking Nicole Miracle. On a, on anything off road or anything grindy, I'm taking Lindsay. But it couldn't Rolling Hills be grindy? I mean, that's kind of it, you know. Well, we're not talking like paved fire roads, are we? You don't need a power hike. You're just running. It's still runnable the whole time. That's kind of what I think of Rolling Hills. And I, yeah, if we're I, taking I, the average Spartan Super, I'm taking Lindsay. If we're taking rolling like California Hills, I'm taking Nicole. Think think about this. Last year, Nicole won flat and fast uh, Alabama and flat and fast Jacksonville. We even got to Seattle, which is more flat, and Lindsay won. Then we went to Utah, Big Bear, Lindsay won. Utah, Lindsay won. Like, if unless it's just a pancake, Tahoe, Tahoe Lindsay won. What? I think if it's not well, last year, Lindsay won no. Tahoe? Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. Well, there was this, she didn't run for six or five weeks before Tahoe. Broken foot. She kept that. Yeah. She had a broken foot. Anyways, anytime the terrain starts to vary, you got to go with Lindsay Webster. Yeah. Like, I think that's pretty easy to say. Yeah. For the sake of variety, I'm going to say Nicole. But no, I don't feel comfortable betting my house against Lindsay Webster. <laughs> I, I, I would I would go the same way. If I had to pick one single person over the long run, I feel like Lindsay is always going to end up being the one who gets you your money back. But it, she it, is the best OCR athlete of all time. I I, I would I would put her above Albin just in terms of pure dominance within her division. Did, I, I forget. I, I think I did the stat with you on the podcast with Benny. There are like six or seven men who she has never beaten. That's it. That's like mm -hmm. in history. She she's beaten uh, Cody Moat. She's beaten Killing. Like unreal. I think Albin Atkins, Johnny Luna Lima, and like Hunter and a couple others are the only ones she has never beaten. Had like in the same course where her. No, it's kind of no, it's kind of a shame about the Lin not the Lindsay uh, era is she had an unfortunate lead up to Tahoe this last year, and if she had gone into Tahoe and won again and did that whole thing, like people don't even know, like she had stress fractures in her feet and she was only on the bike and. 
you know, all of that thing, like she would be, there would be even less tarnished, but there's now there's like still a question mark because Nicole won and you know what I'm saying? Like there's still that question mark that some people have, and I don't think it should be there at, at the um, speed, because I, of I feel like people kind of disrespect Nicole though, like a seven yeah, minute fair. win in a super and four minutes in a sprint to start the year off. Like she was unbeatable. I don't think that Lindsay and her peak shape would ever have been able to touch or any woman in the history of OCR would have been able yeah, to maybe. touch Nicole those two days. Here are my feelings on, on the female side of OCR. Lindsay is a victim of being a female. If she were a man, she would be the undisputed greatest ever. But because she's on the woman's side, people will discredit. And I think she's the greatest OCR athlete we've ever seen. And, Lit and Nicole is a victim of competing in the same era as Lindsay. So it's kind of Tom Brady, Peyton Manning-esque? Absolutely. And if they were both playing in the CFL. Yeah. Or or, or like yeah. <laughs> Nadal and Federer and Djokovic. Like, it's like, how do you really pick? They're yeah. they're so good at their prime. And, you know, Nadal is the is the great clay court person, but Federer is unbeatable everywhere else in, in general. But uh, Djokovic, in, in the same time, he's won like over 10 majors as well. So it's, yeah, it, it, it the Cole would kind like of- those two boosted each other up more. Whereas these two pull each other down and who is the greatest because Lindsay shouldn't be disputed, but Nicole should never be underrated. Yeah, you're right. And you know what the beautiful thing about that is though, is we got to, I mean, both those women plan on sticking around in this sport and we're going to have a clear answer in a couple of years without, you know, hopefully or not, or it's going to be the greatest rivalry of all time because we don't have quite a rivalry going on like they've had. So yep. we're going to, we're going to see that one play out. And speaking of in a few years, um, we saw the emergence of development within the sport. People who have been around for a while, just never had that breakthrough with Kempson and Johnny and Veerman last year. Who do you guys see as the person who's going to have a breakthrough once r racing resumes his. I think, I think you got to look at Mark Godet and you got to look at Nick Riker. I think Mark Godet's top end potential is probably he's a little more seasoned. So maybe his top end right now might be a little higher, but um, not to discredit Nick Riker. He was running a hell of a race in Jacksonville before uh, missing his spear. So like, I think those three also, yeah, he's young. He's got a lot of time. Um, and I think he's got, he's a confident guy. You know, he, he kind of walks around with the confidence and I think that's, and he's hungry. And he's hungry. It's a good, that's a lethal combination. I, I, I understand Mark Goddard has a little more of a humble demeanor, but that doesn't take away from how badass that, that dude is. So I think those two guys, you're going to start seeing their names a lot. And I think one of those are going to pop a race. Like last year, Tyler Veerman popped his first podium in Utah. You might see one of those guys suddenly sneak in somewhere um, every year and become a name. Every year there's a per like Gawiski at North Carolina or Asheville a few years ago. And then like Tyler Veerman doing that. And then Johnny Luna Lima, like you have that one sneak every single year. And I totally agree. I think Mark, what, what was he like sixth or seventh at Jacksonville? Like he's got yep. that potential. I would say that those two, and there's probably a couple other um, qualify as the ability to pop one, but I don't think there's going to be a, a new someone that breaks through. And that like, <laughs> no offense to those guys, the top's just too good. Yeah, that there are people that could make a podium if the stars align. And like, I'm describing myself from the past seven years, like that was my MO. There's no shame in that. Like they're going to make a podium. It's going to be awesome. But in terms of the major players, I don't see there's a shakeup. And I also don't include Johnny as the pop in a podium. I see Johnny as the clear cut favorite anytime there's significant downhills at yeah. this point. Like he has a skill set mm -hmm. that no one else has. And it will not go away barring injuries. So he's going to keep winning or podium in these big mountain races. So I don't, I don't actually, I don't see a shakeup. I see a massive shakeup in places like three through seven on the women's side, but the men's, I think it's more of the same. What do you think we need to do on the women's side to, to fill that, 
to fill that gap, like where is that going to come from? Because you look at like Jacksonville and I was somewhere around 10th place, like roughly two minutes behind the win. Uh, 10th place on the women's side was like nine minutes or seven or six minutes, six minutes behind the win. Um, to get that next emergent, like that true contender emerger on the women's side, it either has to be a high level runner come back like Tia or Nell or how, I mean, where is that going to come from to there. fill that gap? So, so I actually have some numbers on that. That you do. I, so Jacksonville, the top men had a two minute twenty three second gap. The top women were five fifty. Five fifty. Oh, it's not as big as I thought. And, okay. and both of those were the smallest time gap in Spartan history for one through ten at a major race. And you mm. can still see it's a three and a half minute difference between the men and the women in a race. It was the shortest race we've ever had in a series race. Yes. Yeah. As well, right? Yeah. yeah. So. That's been the case from the beginning. The women's sport has been three years behind the men from the beginning. But I truly believe the only way to fill out that side is to increase prize money. Um, the women have a, a higher occurrence of people coming out and not coming back than the guys do. And in terms of top level talents and just by nature, if you look across professional sports, there are deeper fields of the B and C level people chasing pro level on men's fields than women. Just by nature, it seems that men are more likely to throw caution to the wind and pursue something that may not pan out for them rather than taking the corporate route than women are. That's just, and I, that's not an opinion. That's just numbers say that in pro sports, there are more farm leagues for men and than women. And some of that comes because advertising money drives how big the farm leagues are and everything. But anyways, there are less occurrences of women chasing that fringe benefit than the men do. And so increasing prize money depth, in my opinion, is the only way to assure that the Nels and people like that, the Tias keep coming back and start filling out the sport. So Bracken, you're mainly saying that it's going to be external as opposed to internal within the men's field, that that's the only way that they're going to fill it. Because you mentioned Nell and Tia, and I and I see them as basically the only ones that, who have at least put their foot in the water and actually had some success that wasn't long lived. Granted, like Nell had, she got top 10 in the Olympic trials. Like there's a hundred percent valid reason why she decided not to stick with OCR this year. But I have a feeling she's probably going to come back this year now that she's not going to the Olympics and assuming they don't have a a rerun of the trials like she she's probably like you know what i can make some good money i'm already in shape i've been doing this kind of stuff for a while i've had some success i could see her coming back and just like you mentioned tia if she figures out her obstacle game kirk she, she just mm -hmm. her running ability for sure could be there but the out who else i really haven't well, seen what is the number one correlation or the number one causation of studs entering the sport do you know what it is money but having a buddy who's already in it who's successful if there's enough money that your friends like, dude, this is awesome. And they see you doing it and they realize I can get some too. They come in and there's not yet enough money that Tia's friends are going to be like, what she's doing is awesome. I'm coming over because she's right. not even making money from it yet, even though she's an animal. And when she figures it out, they're going to look and be like, well, Nicole and Lindsay, there's not much money that goes beyond third place. There's not really place for me. But if you're paying five and 10 deep, yeah, your friends start coming out. And that's how this sport feels because we're still a word of mouth sport. Do you know what we see on the men's side that we don't see on the women's side too? Is if you think about let's, who's good at stadium races, let's just go to stadium races, okay? Let's say Bracken, uh, Kent, Killian, Isaiah, Kempson, right? A lot of those guys are still showing up to regular Spartan races. Bauer, sure. <laughs> Benny Gifford. We got a, uh, but we got like, we got a lot of those top guys that are podiuming are still showing up to 
uh, outdoor Spartan races. Now you look at the women who are good at the stadiums and they're specializing more. You have um, like, well, hopefully Orla's coming back. You have Corinna, you had Kelly Sullivan, you got all these other, these women that if they just made the transition, they'd probably fill up a lot of those spots on the women's side. Don't you agree? Like some, if, if, yeah, I just feel like a number of them would do really well if they wanted to and they're choosing to specialize. 100% agree. Like Laura Cummings, she, she in the Olympic trials marathon, she, she was like a 239 or a 240 before like qualifying to run there. Mm -hmm. And she focuses on the stadium series. There's no way that some, that a woman who holds like 605 pace for a marathon should not be top five, like get her obstacle game there and like a little more confident and just being an overall athlete. Uh, there's no way she wouldn't be top five, but like you mentioned, she's focusing on stadium series, it seems. Well, and why? Like, why did no one come and do stadiums for years? I talked to Cody about it for a while. He said, I'll never come do that. I don't think I can beat you on my first time. And why would I fly there to not make money? Because you're only paying three deep. Mm -hmm. Like to Laura, she knows she can do well here. Why would she go out somewhere else right now and just risk her own money to go to a race where she doesn't know she can earn money right now? Mm -hmm. And so that's that's where like that disconnect at the top is right now, where if you're not guaranteed appearance fees, <laughs> now you're gambling. Yeah. And gambling is mm -hmm. not fun to a lot of people. You could be eight, like Ian Hosick. He got fifth at Worlds. I don't even think he was like top 15 at Jacksonville. Like the variability, the swings within the top, that that B group of on the men's side, it's just unreal how, how variable it is. Meanwhile, on the women, it was for like three years, it was 95% of races. It was going to be Lindsay, Nicole, Alyssa, Faye, and Rhea, no matter what. Now you've seen Rebecca when she's healthy. She's probably the only one who can really, really run with Nicole and, and uh, Lindsay. But there just isn't that you, – you know they're going to show up. They're not going to get worse in like seventh or eighth. Like it's that's just a matter of fact. That top gap – the gap between – The top five are spoken for. Yes. And if you're trying to do this to make money, you're screwed. Well, yeah. the simple solution to this, and Woods alluded to this in our last episode, is you need to increase the prize money at the local regional races – uh, more so than you even need to increase the prize money at the big national series races. If you start throwing out a thousand dollars for the win and seven fifty or five hundred for second, maybe pay five deep or something like that at regional or local races, you're going to see a lot of new faces coming out because a thousand bucks seems really shiny. Five hundred bucks sometimes seems like an inconvenience when you pay a two hundred dollar entry fee and you pay this to get into it. Um, I think if they just stepped up their game on the on the local races, that would that would filter in somehow to the high-end races eventually and bracken you already mentioned it where you are your third race like that analogy give those people a reason to run one or two local races before mm -hmm. they bring it to the big guys and then fall apart because everyone else is they know what to expect at these u.s national series level races like give them the, the opportunity or an incentive to run and test their foot in the water like th that's the way that it, to do it for sure i agree with you guys yeah, yeah. Who, who do you think has the best mental game in the sport? That's the last one that I'll ask you. What was the question? Who has the best mental game Me in mental the sport? Mental game. I'm trying to think if I've seen anybody just throw in the towel in a race. Like ever, like to start with the opposite end of that. Yeah. Um, I feel like you see less and less of that every year. You know? Hobie to me. It's Hobie. Hobie. He is, because he has the perfect combination of ultimate confidence in himself. He truly loves what he's doing out there. And so his... His uh, enthusiasm and drive is not dependent on what position he's in in the race. And he is a killer. So he's good natured. He is totally confident. And he will destroy you with all of his power. And those three together make him really, really hard to do anything to on course because you can't change his mindset depending on what you do to him. So Hobie's my pick. Um, I would say 
Ryan Atkins based on one experience I had with him. Um, I've only been Ryan Atkins once and he was injured and I didn't know that at the time, but it was in Chicago two years ago in the mud fest where the mud was up to our crotches and it was miserable. I guess he had hurt his foot. Um, he'd hurt his foot in a rock climbing accident, I think. So he didn't run for a week or two and I passed him like mile three or four and the rate of exertion that guy was still putting out. And he was going backwards at this point. Like he knew this race wasn't his race. And you know, Ryan's used to running up front and the way that guy was breathing, the way he was grimacing the way he was like pushing though that guy was not waving the white flag that guy was digging into a wound do you know what i mean and that experience when i went by him i was like i know this isn't his day but this guy will kill himself before he just completely lets himself fade away so i would base on that one experience i would say ryan atkin i i think that it's hard to go against your description for hobie bracken you've you've seen head to head but i'm gonna agree with kirk only because you've seen time and time again he'll, he'll do that uh the the uh, Enduro, whatever the show that he was on a week before world championship and still come back and get second. Like he'll, yep. he did uh 50 miles or 55 at toughest mutter and then came back TMX the next week, ha- obviously struggled there, but he was destroyed, but he still went out and did it. Like, and he's always that contender. He just, he's the most consistent podium threat out there in his, he might not have the highest peak cause he doesn't have the rings necessarily. Like you'd, you'd say in other sports, but like, I just feel like he is the biggest gamer out there in terms of always being up there in contention. Yeah, I'm not voting against him. I was just voting for Hobie. On the women's side, I it's harder to choose because I haven't raced against uh, any of them, luckily. <laughs> <laughs> but Lindsay blows me away with her ability to run so many different styles of race. Um, and she will commit to a faster pace than she would want in order to keep Nicole in range. And she will also not back off if she's out of sight down. And like you look at uh, West Virginia last year, watching that coverage, each time I watch it, Woods pulls away big time and Nicole pulls away and you see the parallels and suddenly Lindsay's back in it and she's back in it and she can just weather any storm it seems. And so having not actually experienced them in a race, I choose Lindsay. Yeah, the, the male equivalent of Lindsay would be terrifying. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, isn't that kind of like Ryan Atkins? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I think it's like Ryan Hobie. Honestly, she yeah. has a lot of similarities to Hobie in my mind in terms of mindset and like compact stride and yeah. economical movements. And then obviously she's she has more access. She and Ryan rub off on each other more than anyone else in the sport does. So. Bracken, I, I was gonna that was gonna be my last question, but you just brought up phrasing that really thought of one more question. You said compact stride. World championship is moving to Abu Dhabi. It helps to have a compact stride in sand. Sand running is completely different than mountain running. If you guys had to pick your podium today, we don't have much info about anybody this whole year. We've seen one race for the most part, and it's still six months from now. Who would you pick as the on your podium for the world championship? In order. It's impossible, Jack. No, but it's, it's impossible. Lovely. Yeah. I I will just say who I won't be surprised if they do better than people expect, and that's Mark Botris, uh, Richard Heineck, and Hobie. Everyone else we expect to do well, so I'm not even going to bother with the with those guys. I'm going to say three people that might be off the radar. Botris has the quickest turnover, I think, and the highest cadence of probably anybody in our sport when you watch him run. I think uh, a course like that would suit him well. But then Sergey um, Paralogian, Paralogian, he's 
He and Hynek, they've raced a good amount in Dubai, and they are both tough and good at obstacles. And, and Sergey really good at downhills. Yeah, and, and Sergey was two spears away from probably winning the trifecta championship. Um, and so he's, he, he ran with, with um, Albin and, uh, and Soleil on a short course and the super until failed obstacle, uh, which was just the spear, back-to-back races. So he, he can fly as well. He also has multiple OCR world podiums, so he's not going to fail any obstacles. And like you mentioned, he's raced in, you've raced him in the Middle East several times, a couple times. He's a full-time racer. He's up in the mountains training every day. He's sponsored by Reebok in Russia. Like he's supported and he works his butt off. I would say the easy outlier, just based on what I know about the athlete would be Batras, would be the one name we haven't talked much about. Um, He's the best guy to never put it together in a big race in my mm -hmm. mind. Do you think Not he, that he, he's had successful Tahoes and successful races, but and he's capable of winning any given day. You know, we don't give the kid VJ enough credit yet either. Okay. We have decidedly, when we sifted through Jacksonville this year, we decided it wasn't necessarily a runner's course and it was a slug fest and VJ still came out second. And we look at him as more of like a pure runner for, I mean, flat and fast. Um, that could be a course where you could see a VJ Jones world champion. Like you just could, like he's good enough now. And if it's runnable enough, you never, you never know. You That's really why don't. I didn't even mention him because I think he's one of the favorites. Oh, well, I think what we saw go. to yeah. start last year out where he came out and beat everyone in the sport several times. Mm -hmm. I think he's, he's, he's attained his, like, I mean, his status now. We're, we're an hour 45 or 15 of this podcast. We talked about all the greats and all these aspects since the first time we've mentioned PJ Jones. Like what, a, what's, there's a problem there. Well, I think he's, he's, he's arrived too late to be one of the greats in history. He's the next, I think if you look five years from now, who's our, who are the best in the world. And he and Johnny have cemented themselves above most people. I think who will no. win a world champion Spartan title first Atkins or VJ Atkins. 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 I would say VJ wins in Abu Dhabi before Atkins, except that Atkins keeps winning sprints when he's not supposed to. So like yeah. I'd be stupid to pick either one. I'm not picking. All right. Let's uh let's bring this podcast full circle, okay? We could bullshit about OCR all day. Let's bring it back to you, Bauer. Bauer, what are you uh what are you doing this season? What's your plans the rest of the year? Racing. What are you doing? I was so bummed once all this coronavirus stuff happened and they canceled New York because I was like, sweet, Matt Kempston's hurt, Bracken's hurt. Like, I might be able to get a <laughs> stadium series. And now you're you're running sub five minute miles, dunking basketballs on your off leg and stuff. So I, I know Bracken's gonna be back. Um, but realistically, I got I got fourth in the stadium series last year. I'm going after that. I want to get podium. Benny got third in the stadium series last year, and he's never podiumed at a Spartan race in his life just because of the points accumulation garbage mm -hmm. and so I'm, I'm beating benny i i had my first two missed spears in almost close to three years last year and they were both in the two stadium races dc and uh dallas so that that kind of threw my season off and i ended up getting fourth um but i, I want that podium and i'll probably end up doing uh, a lot of decafit as well i really really like that format and i think that you both of you would do really well at decafit i tested it out with kent i was about a minute slower than him minute 10 or so um you're close. That's good. My split I, during the race, I split like 1650 for my 5k. Like, and Kent was even fat. Like you're, you're moving during that. And that was like in no man's land between Kent and Cole. So I think that gets some good competition. You're going to see some really fast running. And I think that you guys would do well. Are we going to see at any outdoor races this year? Um, the Colorado ones. And I, I really wanted to do Seattle, but it, it was the same day as uh city field. So I kind of 
did that, but that's not happening this weekend, obviously. But I, I would love to maybe next year focus on the U.S. National Series, but I, I still like stadiums enough. At, but if they just keep going to the same venues over and over again, I might just do like only Dallas and then because that's my favorite race period and then focus on some outdoor stuff, especially with the coronavirus affecting gyms being open. Like I'm hitting a lot more trails now because I don't have a treadmill and just I'm really liking trail running again. It's because it's forcing me to. I have one final question for you, and it's a disrespectful question, and I wouldn't ask most people this. That's fine. We know each other. I mean, we've we've wrestled. I feel like I can ask you things. So yeah. wrestled, yeah, very close quarters. Yep. Yeah, you have the dishonor of having the most workout potential shown that hasn't translated to races yet. I would say that based on workouts I've seen you do, and you you and I are both detailed people. We like the details of workouts and the details of races. I would say that I would rank you going into races consistently higher than you've performed, be it stadiums, be it high rocks. Um, and there's always outside factors with health or whatever. But yeah, what are you doing this year in order to take what you do in training and get rid of your race day hangups and and come to play on race day and show what you consistently show in training. I I am not offended by that because I honestly agree with that. I, I would I don't know if I'm like the number one most wasted potential in terms. Like, I didn't say that. No 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 no. I'm saying like in terms of I've never put it together, but could do better. Like I'm I, I've never be on an Atkins level or anything like that, but I should be better than I am. I, I would say the thing that I have screwed up through the years the most is being too conservative. Like I let contact break away way too quickly. And I'm I, like, I'll look at my watch. And I'm like, holy crap, I'm running five ten pace in the first mile. It's like, well, everyone's going to slow down and I'm fit enough to run five ten pace. Like, yes, it's going to hurt a little bit more than that comfort zone. But I feel like I'm like, no, they'll fall apart later, but it never happens. And the people who, who go out aggressively, are the ones who get rewarded for it a lot of times. Like they're they're stupid aggressive and then they're smart aggressive. And I needed to get into that smart aggressive. And it's I think that I was really planning on um, whatever this uh, this first stadium race at City Field. I was like I am just I don't care if I blow up. I just want to stick on Kent's shoulder even if I last twelve minutes. I just want to see what that pain feels like and then carry that over later. And even if it costs me a couple of places and I lose to other people. I just want to get used to that feeling in races and realize that that's how you kind of have to race. And if you want to do better than you, like if you want to perform how you should. I like that. Yeah. 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 Do you guys have any tips on that? Just because I know that like people who that you do see blow ups, but a lot of times it's more of a controlled blow up from the people who go out fast. That's what I would say. That's kind of my, you know, newer, going to be newer motto um, is going out more aggressive. And anytime I have, I've never regretted it. Not once. And if I've blown up, We've trained hard enough, Jack, where we're not going to blow up so bad that it's going to be embarrassing. Yeah. You're still going to hang out. It's going to be painful, but you're going to hang on to a respectable finish no matter what. Yeah. So I think I think the risk is minimal at this point. Now, if you're not training properly and you go out too aggressive, that's a different story. You know what I mean? But you've earned that right to go out hard uh, for based on your training. You've earned that right. That's what I say. We've all run an 800 or a mile. and st- like We know what that feels like. I feel like it's been a decade since I've done that, though. So maybe I just need to... Do what Macaulay did, run an 800, get that pain, and then realize that's what it's going to feel like again. I think there's two things. The first is you have to time trial. You have to take yourself to some dark, fast places in training, but in a time trial rather than like this huge Metcon where you destroy yourself. Like do a time trial and get used to hurting and then do some workouts. Do some fast start workouts. 
you know, maybe you do an all out four or eight, give yourself three minutes of recovery, and then you have to hit a circuit. But just getting more used to the place of, you can't take me any place I've, I've never been in training myself. Yeah. And you don't have to do those often, but like one every other week for six weeks or for four weeks leading up to a race and you arrive mentally bulletproof. Even yeah. if it doesn't change your fitness, you know that I have hurt myself as bad as any of you can hurt me today. So now let's go, let's go dance. And you'll get more relaxed at moving fast. Yeah. This I is a tangent we don't need to get into, but my final year of track in college, I finally mastered running fast while being relaxed. Yeah. And it is so different between running out aggressively and running out fast mm -hmm. and smooth. Mm -hmm. And it's really tough in OCR to relax the first mile or half mm -hmm. mile, especially in short stuff. So mastering fast and asleep. Totally. There was a workout we did in college. We were milers now. I was milers, but we, uh, we did like a, it was three by three by 400, but that, so it was like three, four hundreds with 60 seconds rest between. Then after every three, we took three minutes. Right. But our, but the point of this workout was to go basically balls out for our first quarter and then hang on for our next two, then get a big rest. So we had like three all out quarters in the middle of that workout, but then had to get back to two more good working quarters before rest between the sets. Do you know what I'm saying? And that workout taught us how to get out fast. And then we were not ready for our second quarter in those mini sets, but we still had to run respectable. Coach would pull us if our splits got too embarrassing, yeah. but um, he did. And a lot of guys got pulled from that workout, but I'll tell you what, on race day, when it came to racing, that workout probably benefited going out hot and getting comfortable with it more than anything. Almost an all-out 400 followed by two more 400s, only with 60 seconds rest, and then a three-minute gap and repeat that two more times. Yeah, Something to think about. I'm going to be doing that one just for kicks because I, I love it. I, t I totally agree. I, I I think the getting comfortable, being ahead of pace, like I needed to throw pace out the window and just not think that I'm in my college track track times anymore at that point and i know that the, the one time that i've just like you mentioned brock in your senior year that, that i actually felt that pain i set I, I went out 56 and then came home in 64 and an 800 and i was like i don't care i'm sticking on this guy like I, i'm going out way too hard this guy's like a 153 800 runner but i'm just gonna go with them we'll see what happens and just i don't touch that feeling enough during a race but i do remember what it feels like i just need to do it again if you, you look back at who we said were the toughest racers we've raced against, there is a common theme amongst them and that they hit some FKTs, they hit some time trials, they hit some segments hard consistently. They get used to that sting in training. So yeah. Cool. Appreciate you guys. Uh, I know this obviously went a little long, but and thanks for steering me in the right direction. I should have trusted you from the start. <laughs> thanks for trying to take over our podcast a couple of times. Anyone you want to shout out before we break off here? Um, Once races start again, I'll keep throwing up some more stats, but I mean, there's nothing I can really talk about numbers wise, but any sponsors, anyone who helps you out? I was going to say Yancey cult has been really helpful um, through the years, just with training. Uh, everyone knows about Yancey camp. Go check out his website. He has tailored programs for all different styles of racing short through long. Um, and he's just super, super outgoing and he'll get back to you and genuinely cares about it. So I would check out Yancey camp and we've got some cool numbers on there, but until they start racing again, you're not going to be seeing anything fun. Yeah. And that's where you can find all your stats on yancycap.com. Yeah. That's where you can find all Jack Bauer's hard work yeah. when you dig into the results and rankings and all that. Cool. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thanks for joining us, man. Get out in time trial, Jack.